Welcome to the One Voice for Neurology podcast, a series of podcasts exploring why it's time to make neurology a priority, how that can be achieved with a global and uniform response, and what that could mean for the future of neurology and those living with a neurological disorder. I'm Sam Polly, and you're listening to Episode 9, 10 Minutes with Christopher Agbega on living with a neurological disorder in a developing country. Thank you for joining us today. Well, the One Neurology Initiative is a global movement. And in the previous series we launched earlier in 2021, we spoke about a number of questions relating to neurology. These were often linked to higher income countries. And now with our special 10 Minutes With series, we wanted to explore the needs and priorities in different geographies, specifically focusing on lower and middle income countries. Today, we'll be examining the situation in Ghana. And to discuss that, I'm delighted to be joined by Christopher Agbega. Christopher lives with hereditary motor sensory neuropathy and is an advocate and peer trainer for the Ghana NCD Alliance and a projects officer of the Ghana Federation of Disability Organisations. Christopher, thank you so much for being with us today and a very warm welcome to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, such an honour to be here. Thank you. So maybe first tell us a, a little bit about how, how you are and, and how your hereditary motor sensory neuropathy is, is doing. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. Um, except for the fact that I had a health episode quite recently. I'm, I'm recovering, so I'm, I'm doing perfectly fine now. And um, yeah, hereditary motor sensory neuropathy is indeed uh, interesting. For, for anyone that doesn't know what it is, maybe I know it's difficult to summarise, but could you tell us in a few words? In a simple term, the nerves are no longer supplying energy to the muscles. And so over time, it's, it's like a degenerative condition. So my muscles keep wasting away and my nerves keep getting weaker and weaker. What would you say it's like for people with HMSN? in Ghana, living in Ghana? It's very complicated, I have to say, because even for people to understand what a condition is, first of all, is is the big concern. I I live in a country where most attention is paid to the major health, you know, situations. So HMSN, it's not a common condition that people or the state would want to pay attention to. So it is very, very complicated. People are people are still in, in limbo as to what it is. And even explaining to them doesn't mean they understand it. I guess it's quite an invisible disorder in many senses. Yes, yes, it is. So I know that your diagnosis was was really delayed. Why why do you think that was? Coming from what I just said, the the healthcare needs of of persons with um hereditary motor sensory neuropathy like myself is very expensive. I remember when the condition started some 14 years ago, when I started experiencing the symptoms, I was looking forward to, you know, what was actually going on with me. So I was going from one hospital, one doctor to the other. And the problem was they were trying to eliminate the common sicknesses that we all know because they didn't really understand what was going on. And then I was asked to conduct an MRI scan in the early part of of my symptoms days. And it was expensive. I couldn't afford. I live with a single mom, so you can imagine. And so it took me nine years to finally find the kind of help I needed to then come up with the diagnosis I needed. So basically, it had to do with cost. 
cost of healthcare. What impact has that had on you then? Do you think that delay? It really did have an impact on me. You know, diagnosis is, is key to treatment and management. Once you, you know what is wrong with you, you then know what to do. So for the first nine years of me going through this, not knowing what actually was going on with me, you can imagine the psychological, you know, complications I was going through because I was, I was, trying, I was trying to think, I mean, what, what is going on? I'm, here I am. I used to be strong. Now I can't do the things that I used to do any longer. I can't carry stuff. I walk a few a few meters and then I'm tired all of a sudden. But hey, this this wasn't me. I used to walk around without any any trouble. And then you are going back and forth at the hospital. They are saying, do this test, do that test, you know. And it's all money. You are trying to do it, and the results are still not coming up. So within that first those first nine years, it was really frustrating. At a point, I actually gave up on going to the hospital because I know I would go and the only thing they'll tell me is go and do this test or go for physiotherapy. How did you get diagnosed in the end then? So I, I remember very well um, there was a private hospital and at the point I was working at a radio station so I met someone who helped me. He, he took me to this private hospital and they helped me for free because of him. He, he, he stood in for me and so they took my samples and you know they did what they had to do and then finally, the breakthrough came. I knew what it was that was troubling me. And I have to say that from there, I then received the needed treatment that I actually needed. So it was, it was a life changer for me, imagine, after nine years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and once, once you said you then got that treatment, generally, how accessible would you say is healthcare and resources for people living with neurological disorders in, in Ghana? It is very complicated. You should understand that the low number of doctors who specialize in, the, in this field, that is one. So uh, I remember when I was referred to the biggest hospital in Ghana, I was actually referred wrong. I was referred to the orthopedics because they thought it had to do with the bone. But then later I was referred from the orthopedics to the physician specialist. That was when I found myself in the space where I had to be speaking to the the types of doctors I had to speak to. And, you know, in the health system, doctors specialize in different fields. So if you don't find yourself with the right doctor, then you're missing out. So you can imagine the the number is little with regards to these doctors who specialize in this this area. Another issue is they are all centered in the bigger, uh, you know, city or in Accra. What happens to the other 15 regions? If somebody has the condition and is somewhere in another region, it took me nine years to get my diagnosis. Imagine what it's going to take whoever it is somewhere to, to get his or her diagnosis. So it, it, is, it, it, it gets really complicated. You don't even have the, the needed number of specialists in this field to actually diagnose the, this condition or to treat this condition. And do you think that this is this sort of situation then that, that you've experienced in Ghana? Is that representative of the situation of people living with neurological disorders on the African continent, do you think? Well, just to be very objective, that I wouldn't say yes, I would also say no. That The reason is because probably some level of research would have to go into that to ascertain whether indeed this is the situation in other countries. But I have to say that from experience, knowing very well that the health situation in Ghana is similar to most other African countries, I'll say yes. 
you know, understanding neurological conditions or autoimmune conditions is one that is still on the rise. Across Africa, you can see that a lot of health, um, you know, the government or the state is fighting the major health conditions among people, the ones that are very well known. So these other ones don't seem to catch the minds of the needed authorities or the, the needed, um, you know, the states to actually come through, provide that needed support to curb this, this virus. So it's, 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 I would say it is the same situation everywhere because Ghana has some similar, you know, um, circumstances when it comes to healthcare in other countries. Do, do you think um, you mentioned other, some of the more prominent diseases, the, the, the big well-known ones there, but what about COVID-19? Has that had an impact as well? Mm, that uh, very important question. Before COVID, the situation was that. And now it is even more tragic. For a person with a neurological condition, you fall under the category of a high-risk patient. So the fear of going to your going to your normal health check or your health routine is one thing that you are not really happy about because you know stepping out there would even make it worse if you should get COVID. The other thing is that since COVID came, the government has channeled all resources and all energy into fighting the, the, the pandemic. So if you go with a condition that is not prioritized to an already burdened health facility, I mean, what, what are you going to expect? You are not really going to get what you are expecting because that was the situation and now it's worse. It's, it's worse now. Another another issue that we've we've spoken about uh, through the episodes that we've done and that's really kind of come out and resonated is the issue of stigma and the way that stigma can affect people living with, with neurological disorders. Is stigma, would you say, has, has it been an issue for you? Is it an issue in, in Ghana? It, it has for me. It has for me. I, I remember at the beginning stages of, of me going through um, HMSN, where I didn't even know what was going on with me. Even those around me, say my friends and family, how they didn't seek to understand what was really going on with me, but rather made fun of how I started walking, how I started, you know, and and maybe complaining too much about being tired and everything. I mean, so it, it became very discriminatory and it was very daunting to my mental health. In Ghana, you can see that the, the, the level of understanding or knowledge around these conditions is low. And not all neurological conditions seem to appear physically. So for me, I use a wheelchair now. So you may even think I, I just have a physical um, disability. Maybe I had an accident. Sometimes I have to explain to people that, no, I didn't have an accident. It's a health condition. That has gotten me into a wheelchair. But for somebody who doesn't have a physical, you know, appearance of the condition, who may be able to walk around normally, but has weaknesses due to the condition. How then do you even explain that, look, I am going through a lot of complications, but because it is not visible, people would rather choose to discriminate or stigmatize you that, oh, there goes the lazy one who is always complaining about, you know, a health condition. Even at the health facilities, you go to the health facilities and they don't even know what it is that you you are suffering from and would rather choose to discriminate against you rather than help you. 
So what do you think can be done to improve stigma, really, to improve the response to stigma? A lot of education and advocacy needs to go into, into it. Advocacy and education from the people who are actually going through the condition. The lived experience needs to be brought up. And the people who are actually going through the condition have to be the ones leading the advocacy, leading the conversation. So people began to understand that, oh, okay, this is actually what is going on. That is the approach that uh, the neurological community, this is what they need to do. And it's not going to be an easy fight because it it didn't just come overnight for some of these other conditions. But we better start now or start in a later time, which may be too late for a lot of people. And just to finish off, Christopher, do you think that a prioritization at global level could help low to middle income countries? It definitely can. Priority is, is, a, is a gateway to, to transformation where uh, a lot of energy and a lot of resources channeled into a particular field and then it becomes, it becomes a success story that everybody looks out for. Look at COVID. COVID-19 is basically the most prioritized health need in the world as we speak right now. And that is why we are getting the results globally as we are getting. Imagine if that kind of energy or if that kind of prioritization was given to neurological conditions globally on a global scale we should be seeing results in in less than five years which would have taken us maybe a hundred years to get so indeed prioritization is is true universal health coverage this is the time that universal health coverage would need to actually target some of these conditions because for me look at what i had to go through it was very expensive what of the other people who are in the areas that can't even find the doctors to diagnose their condition it means it is even more expensive so then we need the the universal health coverage to actually prioritize these conditions so that people could be could live a normal life well christopher we're gonna have to leave it there that's all we've got time for but thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story with us I'd also like to thank all of our listeners who've joined us and listened in today. And if you'd like to join in the conversation with us on Twitter about what we've discussed today or any other issues, then you can find us at one neurology underscore with the hashtag at one neurology. And if you've missed any of our previous episodes, then do make sure to have a listen at oneneurology.net. Until next time. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the One Voice for Neurology podcast. Produced and hosted by Sam Polly on behalf of EFNA and the EAN, the umbrella organisations representing patient organisations and neurologists in Europe.